Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. We've made it to Wednesday. It's October 27th. I'm Nyla Boudou. Here's what you need to know today. What the Sudanese coup says about democracy worldwide. Plus, meatless meals make it into public school lunches. But first, today's one big thing. Who's eligible for COVID boosters and first shots, including kids? After what's felt like a long wait, an FDA advisory panel yesterday voted to recommend the Pfizer COVID vaccine to kids age 5 to 11. Axios Healthcare Editor Tina Reid, this is a big deal, right? Yes. So a lot of parents have been really eagerly watching this. And one of my big takeaways from the FDA advisory committee was that they were really cognizant of that. And while they really didn't want their vote to ultimately turn into vaccine mandates for kids under 12, they did want to make sure parents had the option to get this for their kids. And I think that's going to be a theme to watch as this heads to the CDC next week. Tina's going to be back with the podcast Friday to answer your questions about the rollout of the vaccine for kids. Thanks for those who've already sent them. You can text your questions to 202-918-4893. Meanwhile, I think there's still a lot of confusion about who is eligible for a COVID booster and who has access to booster shots. So I called up Julie Rovner, chief Washington correspondent for Kaiser Health News and host of KHN's What the Health podcast. Julie, who exactly should be getting a COVID booster right now? They're recommended for people who are over 65. And there is some evidence that immunity in that category starts to wane after six months. People who are at high risk for severe COVID, so people under age 65 who have underlying conditions, and people who are exposed on the job, frontline workers, people who work in healthcare settings and long-term care facilities. Then the people who got J&J, there's about 15 million of those people. If you got the single-shot J&J, you probably should get a boost. And you probably should get a booster if you really want to be safe of one of the mRNA vaccines of Pfizer or Moderna. What does the science say about how much of a difference boosters make in terms of protection from COVID? Well, of course, it depends on the science that you're looking at. But in general, boosters do increase your antibody load. The, The problem is that's not the only thing that protects you from getting COVID. And we have seen these breakthrough cases, and that's also part of the debate. It's like the vaccines aren't really supposed to prevent against breakthrough cases. They're supposed to prevent against severe infection and people ending up in the hospital. And they've done a very good job at doing that. And that's the big question. As your immunity starts to wane, the likelihood of your getting infected may go up, but the likelihood of your getting infected and getting severely ill and ending up in the hospital, the vaccines seem to be doing a really good job at that even after some of the immunity starts to wane. And that's what the debate's been about the boosters. Of course, everyone's being encouraged to also get a flu shot right now. Is it okay to get a flu shot and a booster at the same time? That is one thing that doctors say, that you can go ahead and get a flu shot and your COVID booster at the same time so you don't have to sit at the back of the drugstore twice like I'm going to have to do. Julie Robner is the host of the What the Health podcast. Thank you, as always, Julie. Thank you. We'll be back in 15 seconds with a dispatch from Chicago on its introduction of meatless public school lunches. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boudou. 
Meatless meals aren't just a trend among major fast food chains like Panda Express and Burger King. They're also becoming popular school lunches for children in school districts across the country. And Chicago Public Schools are the latest to add plant-based meals with their Meatless Thursdays. Axios reporter Monica Ng is here to tell us how the introduction of their Meatless Sloppy Joe went last week. Hey, Monica. Hey, Nyla. First, why did Chicago Public Schools make this change? Well, they said they wanted to do it in the name of sustainability, and that makes sense because meat is really hard on the environment. And when you serve about 270,000 meals a day, it can really add up if you've got a, let's say, three or four ounce meat patty in each one of those meals. And is it also cheaper? Oh, it's a lot cheaper. Buying lentils is cheaper than buying beef and chicken and uh, any other animal product. And is this in response to parents or children requesting this? Well, they say it was for sustainability reasons. I happen to think it was cost-cutting, but they will not say. And do we know how reflective this is of other school districts across the country implementing similar programs, especially if it's a cheaper alternative? So they're doing it in a lot of districts across the country, but they usually call it Meatless Mondays. At Chicago Public Schools, they're calling it Plant Forward Thursdays. They actually started it in September, but one of the big rollout of the Lentil Joe was just last week. And how did the rollout for the Lentil Joe go? I put out an APB to all uh, CPS parents through Facebook to please tell me how their kid liked it. And I heard some interesting answers, like they served hot dogs at my kid's school today. Or at one school, they served something that tasted like a sloppy joe, but it tasted like real meat in there. And I'm still waiting to hear back from Chicago Public Schools about why they would be serving something like that on a Plant Forward Thursday. Were you able to track down any students who tried it? I was able to find one young man, Alex Bernstein, the editor-in-chief of the Lane Tech Champion, which was the school newspaper I wrote for when I went to Lane Tech many eons ago. And he found the Lentil Joe and he took a picture of it. And it looked a lot different from the, uh, the vegetarian Sloppy Joe at another school. It really looked like lentils. And he gave me this review. While the appearance was less than appealing and the texture was definitely a little bit weird, as could be expected by putting lentil beans in between two hamburger buns, overall, I would say it was pretty decent on par with school lunch food. <laughs> Student journalism at its finest. That's right. That's Axios Chicago reporter Monica Ng. Thanks, Monica. Thank you. military in Sudan took control of the country in a coup on Monday, threatening the African nation's progress towards democracy. Several protesters have been killed and many more injured following the dissolution of the government. Axios' world editor Dave Lawler has the latest. Hey, Dave. Hi, Nyla. Dave, I have to say, it's pretty alarming when you read that the military is saying the prime minister hasn't been kidnapped or assaulted or tortured. Where is he? So, yeah, the prime minister was taken as this coup was taking place to the home uh, of General Al-Burhan, who is the general in charge uh, of the ruling council in the country and also the guy behind the coup. So the prime minister was detained in the home of this general. Uh, He now, according to CNN, has been returned to his own home under a military guard. He has not been able to get much out in terms of his whereabouts and his sentiments, but his supporters are saying that people should rise up against this coup and, and demonstrate peacefully. What role have the Sudanese people played in all of this? 
So if we go all the way back to 2018, 2019, there were mass protests in Khartoum and across Sudan against the previous regime of Omar al-Bashir, who was a dictator who was in power for three decades, one of the world's really most brutal dictators. He was deposed basically as a result of these mass protests and the military and basically civilian politicians agreed to share power during a three plus year transitional period were part of the way along there and the military started to send signals that it was very unhappy with the civilian leadership and obviously we're now seeing Sudanese people returning to the street to reject what the military has decided to do since the coup took place on Monday. Dave, you've brought up before that we're at a state where many democracies are in a precarious position across the world. Is this yet another example of that? We've really seen a string of military coups in, in this year. That's something that has kind of returned to global headlines as a phenomenon. And we have seen other countries uh, in the region, just across the border in Ethiopia, for example, that seemed like they were heading for, in more democratic directions not long ago, but have since hit much choppier waters. And so unfortunately, what we're seeing in Sudan is part of a global pattern. Access's world editor, Dave Lawler. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Nyla. That's it for us today. I'm Nyla Boudou. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning. We've been sharing other podcasts that you can check out. The new podcast, How We Survive, explores the business of adapting to an inhospitable planet and how finding solutions to the climate crisis is a messy business. It's hosted by Molly Wood. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts.